Today, I want you to get your Bibles out for me and, and go to 2 Peter. I'm going to be taking us very foundational. We are at the one-year anniversary of the MOVE journey. This is something we started a year ago. You've heard us talk about it, and if you're new to our church or haven't been around a whole lot, you may not be even sure what it's all about. And for today and next Sunday, I'm going to be digging deep in the, into that movement, what God's doing in our church and what God's assigned to us. And as I go there, I want to start from the very beginning with the question, why did we name our church Daystar? Let's start all the way back there. And, and we got that. The apostle Peter calls Jesus the Daystar. And so this is literally Jesus church. When you call it Daystar church, you're calling it Jesus church because Peter called Jesus the Daystar. And it's in second Peter one and 19. So I want you to go with me right there. It says there, we have a more sure word of prophecy. That's the proclamation of God's truth. We have a more sure word of prophecy as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the, everybody say the word and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, day star is not a word that we use in our normal language. All right. Unless you're talking about the church or something like that, but it was a normal word in ancient Near Eastern culture. And that's why Peter used it. It literally uh, meant the planet Venus. Now that sounds weird, but in ancient Near Eastern uh, time, they would look to, they, you know, they didn't have the same technology we have. They would look to the stars late at night and they could literally see the planet Venus shining kind of like the moon shines just before the sun would break forth. You could see the planet Venus and they called it the morning star or the day star. It literally means the light bringer. And, and so uh, Peter used this real poetic way of calling Jesus the light bringer. Everybody say light bringer. That's, that's who Jesus is. And what he was saying was in your life, you might be in a really, really dark place. I mean, you don't see any way for a solution in your life, but on the horizon, there is a little bit of hope. It's not the sun shining bright, but there's a reflection of the sun. There's a little bit of light and Jesus is about to break into your darkness and make your darkness daylight. And that's what Peter was telling us. And we love that statement. Don't you love it? Can you say amen? That no matter how dark it's been, no matter how uh, terrible things have been, there is a new day dawning in your life and it's through Jesus Christ. And so we named our church Daystar because we felt like that the world did not need one more man-made religious institution. Can I hear an amen to that? Man, religion has taken Jesus and grinded his message all up and put its own rules to it. We didn't want to be that. We wanted to be a place that really was a light bringer. Come on, say it with me again, light bringer. You know, there are people who are dark bringers. Do you know those people? It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Could have been the best day of your life. They're like Eeyore showing up. Hey man, I got a pay raise. I got promoted at work today. Well, you know what that means. They're just going to expect a whole lot more out of you. and You'll be the first one to get laid off. I mean, they're like Eeyore. No matter what you're saying, they're darkness bringers. I want to be a light bringer. You know, there are plenty of churches getting up today preaching about how terrible the world is and how it's all going to hell like a handbasket, talking about the politics of the world and, and the media and all the terrible things and how Hollywood's leading our country straight. Listen, I know about all that stuff, but I want to be a light bringer. I represent the day star. And it says no matter how dark the world may get, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet until the day star breaks out of the clouds and brings daylight to our darkness. Does anybody still believe Jesus is coming? 
So we named ourselves Daystar because we wanted even our name to make a statement to everyone that it doesn't really matter what has been. Jesus is about what's going to be. Come on. You might have had a dark chapter or a dark life. You might be a part of a dark family that goes back generationally in addiction and struggles and sinful behavior. Jesus is the one who says, you know what, as dark as, listen, the day star doesn't shine in the the east until it's the dead of night, like 3 a.m. dark. It's as dark as it can possibly be when the day star starts to shine. And that's what Peter was trying to tell us in your worst moment. Jesus can show up for you. That's why we named our church Daystar. And we believe that when you meet him, it is the greatest moment of your life. I don't mean when you get religion, and I don't mean when you join a church or turn over a new leaf or get, you know, get better or become a better. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you truly surrender your life to Jesus, it's the greatest moment in your life, and it's meant to become a movement in your life. Because it impacts you and how you live and how you treat people and how you talk and and what's important in your life and what your goals and values are. And and so it starts to affect the people around you, your family, the people you go to work with or go to school with. It it really, truly becomes a movement in your life. Now, I have been looking forward to January 2021 like no January in my life. Are we all there like January? is? So somebody said, I saw somebody say last night, I'm not normally a late night guy on New Year's Eve, but I'm staying awake just to make sure 2020 leaves. Well, there's another reason I'm excited about January and, and a real reason, because we know changing the calendar doesn't change our world. We know that, right? But what I'm really excited about, what does change our world is prayer. And every January, we set aside 21 days of prayer as a church prayer and fasting this year. And, and I love it. It, it's, it's, it just moves me. It touches my heart so much. I, I always say that, you know, we start at, at 6 a.m. In, in the building and that the worst part of 21 days of prayer is that five seconds when the alarm goes off and you're like, what am I doing up at this hour? And everything after that's wonderful. Okay. Um, but every January I start leaning in and asking God to speak to me and I ask him, he doesn't always give me what I ask him. Is anybody with me in that? But I ask him for a word, like, God, give me a word for the year. You know, just kind of what am I think? What, what, what will, will this word speak to me? And, and what should I be leaning into for the year? I, I learned it from other people. And um, it's kind of been a thing we do around Daystar for years. And people will get some special words like, you know, increase. They're like, man, this year is a year of increase or, or opportunity or favor and, and just really cool words. People will be telling me, man, I was speaking, I was talking to God. I just felt like God spoke to me. My word is, is favor, you know, and I'm like, that's cool. But God never gives me the, the cool words. You know, like one year God gave me, the, I was praying, I was like walking around like, what's my word, God? He's like, listen. Okay, I was wanting something like expand, you know supernatural. He's like, listen, okay, I'm going to listen. I go around listening. I'm praying. Oh, the whole year. I was just like, listen, I'm, I'm trying to listen. And God did speak to me. It was, it was timely. It was just what I needed. And when the next January rolled around, I was so ready to trade my listen in for something great, you know, and I'm walking around. I remember I was in this room. I was walking over there and it's like, I heard God say, listen. I was like, yeah, no, that was last year. I listened. He's like, no, you need to listen some more. I'm like, really? I got to go two years on listen but that was my word. And in January of 2019, God spoke to me so clearly 
Some of you already heard me say this, but I need to make sure it's in your hearts. I heard God say, take stupid pills. That was my word for the year. Take stupid pills. And it was bigger than that because I'm having a conversation with God. I'm walking around, I'm praying, and I'm hearing from him. And God took me back to when I started here. When, when we started Daystar, I was 27 years old. And, and, you know, there were people who didn't think we um, could do it and friends of mine who thought I'd pick the wrong town to try to start a church in and so many negative things that I just wouldn't hear any of it. God was reminding me of that. Jerry, you just believe that you're going to reach more people from this town than anywhere in the world. That This church could be the greatest church ever. And, and Jerry, you didn't know about things like giving units. And you didn't know about budgets and church growth models. And you didn't know about, you know, uh, uh, things like demographics and how big a church. You didn't know any of the limitations. You just were stupid. You believed I could do anything. Now, some of you little kids are not allowed to use that word. And that's why we have kids church. Okay. Because God called me that I need to take stupid pills. He just did. And, and, and what he was saying to me was, Jerry, I liked you better when you didn't know what you know now. I liked you better when you just took the lid off and you thought anything could happen. And so I, I took that as my word for the year. God, you're going to show me things that I don't think we can do. You're going to give me a challenge that I don't think I can believe, I can believe you for. And I'm going to take stupid pills and I'm just going to do it. That was my, that's what I came out of January with. And, and then it was amazing how God opened my eyes to amazing opportunities for our church. We have a campus in Madison that literally is sitting in the middle of the fastest growing part of the, of, of the state, if, if not the South. It's explosively growing. People are coming in from all over the world. They need the love and the power of a relationship with Jesus. We don't have a building. We're in a, a, a school that's kind of off the beaten path. And, and to go buy property in Madison is you better get ready to stroke a check if you're going to buy something in Madison. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a stupid pill and believe for property. And God gave us property for 23 cents on the dollar. Can we give God praise for that right now? Literally. We paid a quarter of what they paid to the left and to the right. It's amazing. God did that. And, and, and now we need a building on it. And, and we're starting on that. And, and in our Hartzell campus, some of the most amazing testimonies of life change. You're going to hear some of that next week, actually. Don't miss. Some of the most amazing testimonies of life change. People being set free from drug problems and marriages being restored. And yet the, the building is just so small. And, you know, literally we're crowded in the, in, in the auditorium, in kids' church, in the lobby, in the parking lot. It, it's, just, it's just not adequate. And even here, you know, there's a great facility at the Good Hope campus. But we really, you know, are, it, it's not designed to on-ramp all these new families. Church, every week somebody comes to faith in Jesus. New families come to our church every week. And we know that life change happens through connections, not just a sermon. In fact, God didn't call us to preach great sermons and, and, and to even to have people get saved. His word was to us, go into all the world and make disciples. And so we know that the environment that really creates connection, we need to, we need to expand this building and so there was so many things that came to my mind and I was like, God, which one do we do first and how do we do those things? And that's when God told me why I was supposed to take stupid pills. Because as I'm talking to God about this and I'm writing it on the board, I heard God say, okay, scratch off the one that's not important. Scratch off the one that can be put off several years. And that's when I knew, you know, we need to do all this at one time. Take a big stupid pill. Mm swallow it and just do it. Just go after it. And in fact, the biggest campus of Daystar Church is not even in the United States. 
It's in Uganda. And, and you talk about opportunities to reach people that, that are amazing. In fact, we prepared a short video to just give you a picture of what, what our biggest challenge is in reaching people. Take a look. Daystar Cathedral has been part of Daystar Church as a whole for many, many years. I mean, we have spent a lot of, uh, in, invested a lot of time and energy and uh, uh, taking trips to Daystar Cathedral. We've been on the ground there and Pastor Nassan has been just a, a vital part of our team. COVID threw a, uh, a wrench in the whole works of uh, what we were going to do in the MOVE campaign in Uganda, but it really worked out for the best. I mean, we took that money that we were going to use in projection systems and, and lighting there at Daystar Cathedral, and we put it towards the need of the hour. And we fed over uh, tens of thousands of Ugandans, and we were able to reach out not only to our Daystar family there in Uganda, but reach into the Muslim communities. We were able to pour out into those communities, and, and they were able to see a, a, the love of what we say at Daystar. They were able to see the love and the power of Jesus Christ and transforming that community in a real and present way. Uh, the priorities, of course, are to develop leaders, to uh, broaden our, our, um, our influence in Uganda. But the incredible thing is that we already have so much influence and the, the impact that we have in, at Daystar Cathedral already has influence over hundreds of pastors and campuses in the, and not only in Uganda, but in the surrounding countries. So what we do there, what the, the impact that we have in Daystar Cathedral, you know, we talk about going from a moment to a movement. And that's exactly what we, instead of just feeding someone or just sending food or just telling someone how to do something, we are really partnering with that leadership. And it is definitely going from a moment of, of influence into a movement that are going to be touching our eight uh, campuses, our eight satellite churches that are in the area, and the hundreds of pastors that we have influence with that are under the umbrella of Daystar Cathedral. One of our orphanages that we started uh, many years ago is in Kenya Maseki, which is about two hours from our Daystar Cathedral campus. And it's in the uh, outer reaches, and they, they really don't have the uh, education structure um, to, to, to go from primary to secondary school. But we started that school and uh, that orphanage, and there's about 250 orphanage, orphans there that are on a full-time basis. And then we have some kids come from the community to go to school there. And what the MOVE campaign can really do eventually is to build the infrastructure for higher education that they can't travel to another city. There's just not that availability. But what we can, can do is, is dig deep where God has planted us and, and, uh, and uh, take that education structure to a different level where they can be ready for college. And we, want, we don't want to create um, uh, orphans and more orphans that are fed. We really want to create community leaders. We want to create uh, uh, great politicians and great teachers. What they have is good for them. Dirt floors, uh, rudimentary buildings, 
outdoor kitchen, uh, outdoor bathroom, no running water, and we want to give them the very best. And this is what it could be. We could have running water, we could have uh, security and, and, and walls that are built to protect these children. We could have great bedrooms and, and a family atmosphere and family structure within the, within the orphanage. And through the MOVE campaign, I would really love to see some infrastructure built where we can raise the level of education, raise the ceiling on each one of their lives. Because when we, when, we, when we feed those orphans and when we put clothes on them and we provide a general education, it's not like we're doing it for our own kids. When we think about their life and we start dreaming for their lives and we start looking for, for what God has for them, God said he, he has a hope and a future for them. And so we want to plan like that. And we just don't want to feed them or clothe them or provide a general education. I would love to see the infrastructure built to provide higher education, to get them ready to go to college so they, they could be community leaders, so they could have uh, positions of influence in a, in, a, in a nation. If we could have that Christian influence and, and make leaders out of these uh, young kids, just like we would do if they were our own kids because they are our own kids. They are ours. And in this MOVE campaign, from a moment in their lives could produce a movement to a whole nother uh, reality of life for them, their future family, and the, and the leaders that they are going to create. How about we give God praise for that already, what's already happening for kids and people in need. That, that's already amazing. Let, let me tell you kind of where this all started. So Sky shows up at my uh, at, at the door at Glory Hill Church where we started. And he goes, uh, I want you for, to come to Africa with me. And I said, man, it'd take me so much money to go to Africa. Let me just give you that money. You go back to Africa and feed someone. And this little guy named Nassan said, uh, you have to put Africa in your heart. You must come to Africa and it will be in your heart. And I was like, well, I wanted to go to Africa. Anyways, let's, let's check it out. And so I went to the first uh, crusade I ever preached at there in Africa. And, and it was in a small town called Kenya Maseki, right on the Congo border. And uh, it, was, it was great. It was, it was really a great experience. We saw a lot of people come to faith. But on the way, we passed through a town called Imbarara, Uganda. You can Google it. You can, you can learn about Imbarara. But um, uh, it was a bigger city. And I just really had sort of a drawing to that, that area, about a quarter of a million people in that area, maybe more. And uh, when we got back home, um, it was a few months later, and this pastor, Nassan, was back in the U.S., and we were going to dinner together, and I just wanted to bring up the thought of planting a church there. Now, he later told me, he didn't say it then, that he was, he was wanting to plant a church there. He, he had it in his heart and he, he needed a partner. He didn't know how he was going to do it. And he was trying to get up the courage. He was going to wait until after we ate, you know, to people are better off, have a better attitude after they eat. Have you ever noticed that? Always feed the people first. He's going to wait until after we ate and, and ask me. And then just driving down the road, I said, uh, Nassan, what was the name of that little, that bigger town we went through? And he said, uh, Imbarara. And I said, what if we planted a church there? And he said, oh, Bishop. He calls me Bishop. Just so y'all know, I'm a Bishop. Oh, Bishop, that is where God put my heart. We plant a church there, call it Daystar. 
And I was like, let's do it and let's go eat a steak. And that's what we did. And we put it in our heart. And about a year later, we're in that city and, and we're just out in an open field because we didn't have a church or, or anybody, nobody we knew that lived there. We're just in an open field. We rented some stuff and we just started preaching the gospel. And it was amazing. There were so many Muslims because even though there's a lot of Christians in Uganda, it is a Muslim ethic and they were all raised as Muslims. They're first generation Christians. And so we're seeing all these Muslims come to faith in Christ. It was wonderful. We saw a lot of people get healed, including a young man named Edson, who was a college student at the time. He was HIV positive, which by the way, there are more people per capita with HIV in Uganda than any other nation in the world. So they always come up for prayer. He was healed that night with no medicine, hadn't been to the hospital. He was healed of HIV that night. And uh, nine years later, came on staff as a pastor at Daystar Cathedral. Can we praise God for that? That's, I, I hope you get to meet him one day. Maybe Pastor Kipp will bring him back home. He has an incredible testimony. It was a lot of wonderful things happened, including there was a woman sent from a Muslim witch doctor in one of the villages who was sent to kill me for preaching the gospel. And she was delivered and she was uh, saved. She was uh, demon possessed. Uh, it was very real. And, and we saw it in our own eyes and she was saved and she became a part of the church. It was, it was an incredible, glorious thing. And it was the beginning of a brand new church. Now, fast forward more than a decade, take a look at these pictures. We now, Desar Cathedral has this big building that we've completely paid for. It's worth over $3 million. It's debt free today. You can see thousands of people go to church there. The worship is amazing. We have eight satellite campuses all over that city. This is the Jesus March. Look at all the people in the Jesus March for Israel that, that was happening when Pastor Kip was there last time. Our pastors are there preaching. There's Pastor Eli from the Madison campus. And this is Kip in his native environment. If you ever, they, they say in Uganda that Kip is a white African, okay? This is who he is deep down in his heart, okay? And so we have this amazing church that is reaching so many people. And in that video, you heard Kip say, what if we could treat these kids like they were our own kids? Because they are our own kids. That took me back to um, Matthew 25, if you want to pull your notes out, I'm going to tell you a few things to think about from Matthew 25. Two weeks ago, or a couple weeks back, I was preaching on the end times, and I looked into Matthew 25. And, and I, it was Jesus telling what the end times were going to be like. I want to take you back to that real fast in, in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne, the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them as the as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He'll say to the sheep on his right hand, he'll, he'll put the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Time out. Now, how many of you, when there's a separation, when Jesus the king does this separation and on one side he says, you all are going to go into this kingdom that I've been preparing for you from the beginning. Remember in John 14, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. There's gonna, Jesus said there's going to be a moment where he welcomes in all this whole group of people into his kingdom. Now raise your hand right now at all campuses if you want to be in that group of people. Come on, raise your hand. Everybody say this prayer. Say, come Lord Jesus. You know, we've been saying that prayer our whole lives. Let's add to it this way. Jesus... 
it's 2020. <laughs> Come Lord Jesus. <laughs> Right? I want to be in that group because if you skip ahead to verse 41, he tells us what happens to those on the left. Then he will also say to those who are on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Not a one of us wants to raise our hand and say, that's where I want to go. And, and I've always looked at that and, and I've seen it to be such a huge uh, dichotomy of choices. And Jesus, in, in true Jesus fashion, makes it real plain, real easy to understand what's the difference in the people who go into God's kingdom or go into the place prepared for the devil and his followers. Jesus makes it real plain. Here's the difference. Verse 35. Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me, Jesus, food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. These are the people who go into his kingdom. I was a stranger and you took me in or you cared for me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You cared for me. And the righteous will answer him at the end times and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And here's the explanation. The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the, say it church, the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. He said, whenever you loved on the least, the, the, not, not the person who has the most opportunity to thank you or give it back to you, not the person who has the biggest platform so the whole world will see you do it, but when you find someone who could never give you anything back and you just gave it to they didn't earn it, they didn't deserve it, maybe your heart didn't even go out to them, but you chose to give to them anyways. Jesus said, that's the least, and when you did it for them, you did it for Jesus. And in response to that, Jesus is going to say, enter into the kingdom that I've been preparing for you from the foundations of the earth. Those are the people you can give. When someone's ugly to you and you're kind to them, they're the least of these. When someone lied to you and you are good to them anyways, when someone wronged you and you forgave them, when someone did nothing worthy of you giving away money and you gave them money, Jesus said, you did it to the least. When I think of this verse, I think, of course, of the work we've done around the world, but I often think about a man I gave money to on Highway 157. I was talking to God about it. I said, God, I don't give money to people like that. I'll put him in a hotel. I'll give him food. And God said, it's my money. You give him what I told you to give him. I gave him $50. And I told him, this is blessed money. I'm a tither. And everything I don't, everything that I keep, God says is blessed. And if you go out and buy booze with blessed money, you're going to get sick. I just prophesied and made that up. I don't know if that's true or not. Okay. But I said, don't. And, and you know what? Still in my heart, I don't know what that guy did with that money, but I know that he was the least that day. He was the least, and I didn't give it to him. Deep in my heart, I feel like I paid for some liquor that day <laughs> to an alcoholic. But deeper down, when I read this scripture, what I realize is I gave that $50 to Jesus that day. Because Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And you know, when I think about what we do in Africa, it, it, he said, when you feed the hungry, my goodness, we feed those children. They have no food except by your generosity. If you just tithe at this church, you're feeding those hungry children. It says you clothe the naked. You saw those little children in the cute little blue uh, uniforms. You know why that? Because we buy blue fabric with your giving. And we, we, somebody sews it together for those children. Literally, I've never been to Africa when I didn't see children naked. 
that they are running around in the villages without clothes on because they don't have clothes. Even our orphans, most of them don't have shoes. And so we literally are fulfilling this. And you know, when you look at that, you can look at it and, and, and see how you're fulfilling that Matthew 25. But there's another way to look at it. And I see it how God has fulfilled Matthew 25 to each of us. It's not just a, a challenge of what we ought to be doing for someone else. It's an acknowledgement that everything that he asked us to do for someone else, he has already done for you and for me. Can I hear an amen to that? He did that for you. In fact, take out your notes. I want you to write these three things down if you're following along with me in the notes. Number one, write this down. I was an orphan, a stranger. I was hungry. I was a prisoner. I was all that stuff Matthew 25 says. Think about that. Let that sink in just for a minute. You see, literally, none of us here probably have ever been an orphan. You've you probably never truly been hungry. But in a greater sense, you were spiritually hopeless and helpless. You were a spiritual orphan. You and I, we were prisoners bound by all that the enemy has thrown at us, our own guilt, addiction, and lust, and anger, and depression. And all of that was true about us. And in fact, for many hearing me right now, it's not that it was true. It is true. And we're fighting our way through it. In fact, all these three statements are statements of faith that may not be true of you yet, but I'm praying by today. Today, they will become true. Because secondly, if you're taking notes, God, the eternal father, adopted me. Can somebody say amen to that? He just looked down and for no good reason said, I choose you. You didn't earn it. You didn't get good enough. Somebody watching me right now online are thinking to themselves, one of these days, I'm going to church. When I get this right and when I straighten this thing out and when I get good enough and, and this literally, this reality of God says you don't have to do all that. In fact, you cannot do all that apart from him. He's just chosen to adopt you for no good reason except his love. Romans 5 and 8 says God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He didn't wait on you to get it right. He didn't ask you to do these things right. He just said, I'm going to love you in spite of yourself. And he chose you. Romans 8 and 15, watch this, says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Shout it out, church. Of adoption. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I love that, that the writer uses the word Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term for a daddy that is very familial and, and very loving. You know, I think about my son who's seven years old and how whatever he's doing, he wants to sit in my lap if he can. If he's playing a video game or if he's watching TV, he wants to be in my, or like yesterday, he was picking boogers in literally in my lap. I'm like, get out of my lap. He wants to be close to me. All the time, wants to sit in my lap. That's that Abba, Father, that's Daddy. Not, not my, he's my father, he's my daddy, you know. As I was reading this, I thought about a time when, when my little boy, uh, he got these uh, water balloons, you know. There's nothing better for a seven-year-old than water balloons. And you could, you could attach it to a garden hose, and it would fill them all up and put a rubber band uh, attachment. And uh, he's got 50 water balloons just like that. In five minutes, he's got 50 water balloons. And, and uh, as the divine providence of God would have it, friends showed up, and I didn't have to be in the water balloon activities. And so it was great. I was in the garage, and I was watching them throw, and I started hearing Bryant cry. And I looked, and the, the kids that were 
playing water balloons with him, happened to be older kids, and they kind of teamed up on him, and they were bullying him a little bit. Now, this is not a poor old Bryant. He's been on the bully side as often as the bullied side. And, but that particular day, he was taking it on the chin, and I was watching, and I like him to be tough, and I want him to fight his own battles, but it was two against one, and that Abba part of me rose up. Any daddies know what I'm talking about? I was like, that's my boy. And so I eased out of the room. I said, hey, boys, let's have a water balloon fight. Y'all want to? I'll have Brian on my team. Ready, set, go. And have you ever seen the movie Elf? <laughs> Where he makes up the uh, snowballs? Man, I was unloading on them, pop, 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 nailing them boys. Like, yeah. <laughs> Mess with my boy. Me and Brian, after it was over, we did the Hulk thing together. <laughs> you know. But, you know, that's kind of what a real daddy will do. It might not be fair, and I'm sorry for those children who were injured. But, you know, <laughs> there's something about a daddy that's just not going to let his kid be picked on too, more, too, too, too long. He's going to rise up and he's going to show up. And, and this week, as I read that part about God being your Abba Father, it's like I heard the Holy Spirit say, there are people in this room today, people joining us online. You've been in one of those seasons where you feel like you've been picked on. You've been uh, abused. Things have gone wrong for you. You've, you've, maybe you've reaped some stuff that you sowed. But even more than that, just junk has happened to you. And you felt alone and you wonder, when is God going to show up? Can I just tell you that you don't have a father in the term of some kind of a religious institution, you have a daddy God who loves you and wants to embrace you. And he's going to show up. Hear my voice. Very soon, your heavenly father is going to show up. He's going to bring healing. He's going to restore some things and he's going to fight the battle that you can't fight for yourself. I wish somebody would praise the father this morning. Abba father. That's my story I told, but it's God's word. He's the one who put that phrase, Abba, to let you know he wasn't talking about a religious system. He was talking about a personal, loving God. And because I was an orphan, and I was a prisoner, and I was alone, and I was a stranger, and God the Father adopted me, number three, the greatest privilege of my life is to pay God's love forward. Can you say amen to that? The thought that you could find someone who needs the love of God and you could give it. That you could be an instrument of God's hand in what you do. <laughs> Jesus has always been so clear and so plain spoken in Matthew 10 and 8, explaining to his disciples how they're supposed to go on without him. He just simply said, freely you received, freely give. You know, I, I want to give you the honor of being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. This is the one-year anniversary of this move journey. Some of you uh, were here back then and you, you, you know about it, but we made some faith promises. The hundreds of families in our church said, beyond what I've normally given, I'm going to keep doing that, tithing and you know, giving to any cause I, I want to give to. I'm going to also give to this move journey. I'm going to see this become a movement. You know, our church go to the whole new level. And we, we made a three-year faith promise, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't know that literally one month later, COVID-19 would strike our shores, and that there would be global pandemic, and there would be a, a recession, and, and, and the stock market would do this, and people would be losing their jobs, and we didn't know all that crazy stuff. That's why it's not a mental transaction. It's a faith promise. Can I hear an amen to that? You ever been around where you made a faith promise and you're like, oh, that's what, this is the faith part of it. 
And I want to tell you, our church has been gloriously faithful. Do you know, I just heard in a Barna report that they're predicting 23% of American churches will close due to the pandemic, will shut down completely. Let me tell you something. Daystar Church is not going to close until Jesus splits the eastern skies and we all go home to be with him. It's not going to happen. We are not a splash in the pan moment associated with a season of time or a preacher or or a building. We are a movement that is here to fulfill a purpose that God gave us. (laughs) During the pandemic, our church has grown. Do you know today there are more people worshiping with Desar Church than there was a year ago before the pandemic happened? Can I further tell you with all this up and down crazy stuff that's going on, We set a goal, a a, a crazy goal, a swallow a stupid pill, crazy goal to raise $5 million outside of our normal giving. And even in this first year, which was crazy, you know, we've already raised over $1.6 million to God be the glory. It's, uh, you know, raise, what what, do you mean? We haven't been selling raffle tickets, y'all. It's just been people giving, faithful givers like yourself. And, and while that's happened, we gave over a quarter of a million dollars away to foreign missions, investing in people in need, feeding people in Africa. I, I mean, we are being the church. There's never been a season of this church's history that we have been more like Jesus wants us to be than this season. And I thank God for it. And, and next Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to give you a chance. And this worship guide is a commitment card. I want you to take it home. Don't do anything with it today but just take it home and pray over it. This is exactly what it looked like a year ago. And many of you uh, made a commitment, a faith promise. Uh, The only difference is this says two years because we're one year into it. And I want you to pray about how you and your family could be a part of something bigger than yourself. We got to where we are so far and the, the, the changes that are already being made, buildings that are already starting to be built because of generosity and faithfulness of lots of people, not a few people. When you look on the back, there's a chart of what it looks like if you give a certain amount over two years. Somebody's given in every category already. I mean, it's not a few rich people. It's it's everybody doing something. And I want you to pray about you being a part of something bigger than yourself. That's what my family's doing. I'm excited. You know, uh, when, when, when God gave me this vision of a moment to a movement, the, the biggest word God gave me was that this thing's going to be so much bigger than Jerry Lawson that in the history of this church, you know, I'm the only pastor Daystar Church has ever had. You may not know that. I'm the, I'm the only, I mean, we got several pastors, but I'm the only senior pastor this church has ever had. And, and one of the most exciting things God told me as I prayed about this was that in the history of this church, you're going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as that the reach of this church gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why my family's giving like we've never given before. We have never given so much uh, because we believe in it. And so many of you have done the same thing. And so I want you to pray about what God wants you to do. In fact, just hold that in your hand. If you've got a bulletin, just hold it in your hand. Get that card in your hand. Father, I pray over the next week, You would pour out your spirit on us. You would speak to us. You would make so plain and so clear what you want us to do. 
And I pray that next week would be a celebration of faith. It's not a celebration of money or pressure or guilt, but a celebration of faith. And that what has already happened, we praise God for it, but what is about to happen, we lean into. Give us clarity. Give us courage. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, Amen.